0: Good evening. It's good to be here. Glad to always be here. Um, Go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Philippians chapter three. And uh, I know the last two times that I've spoke on a Wednesday night, we were covering Philippians uh, in chapter one. We talked about gospel citizenship from verses twenty seven to twenty nine. We just talked about what does that look like to be worthy citizens of the gospel? to be courageous citizens of the gospel and to be willing citizens of the gospel. And so that would be head, heart, and hand. That would be what we know, what we believe, what we are taking in to cognitively uh, make decisions based off of what we know and what we believe, what we know to be true, and what we believe to be true. And, and the the that's our head. And then our heart would be, what are our desires? What are our affections? What, what do we worship the most in, in our life? And then our hand obviously would be, what are we doing? What are our actions saying? What are we speaking? What are we doing? How are we responding? Um, I think that's one area that I struggle in the most is sometimes my responses to things are emotionally driven. And so, uh, I catch flack for that from, people who are working with me and mentoring me, and I also catch flat from the Lord as he uh, chastens me, but I'm grateful for it. Um, <clears throat> and so as we talked through that, we started to talk and, and to see that Paul was really trying to tell the people in, in Philippi that it's the gospel, it's all about the gospel, and, the, and the, the the one of the great things that I love about the letter to the Philippians is that it was one of the letters that he wrote to the people, and he wasn't admonishing them or he wasn't really chewing them out or you know this this wasn't a military type, you're in trouble kind of deal. This was a you guys are doing good. I love you. I love what you're doing. But remember the gospel. It's the gospel. It's the gospel. And then in chapter 2, in verses 1 through 11, we talked about having unity through humility. We talked about that we needed to replicate that unity, right? That unity that we had in Christ with one another and because of Christ. That's how we are joined together. We don't meet here, uh, you know, just because we have a sole purpose for meeting here. It's because of Jesus Christ and what he's done in our lives. It's because of what this book tells us about Jesus Christ and what he's done in our lives. It reveals to us who God is. And we all believe and know that to be true. And we are unified in that. And our efforts are unified because of that. And then we saw that humility is something that the Savior had and that we need to meditate on. He came down, didn't hold on to what he had and didn't didn't. Um, say, no, you know, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna go to earth and become a man so that I could do what the father wants me to do because I have it way too good up here with him at his right hand. No, he gave it all up. He came down and he was man in the flesh. He lived the perfect life and he was put to death for us, but he was also a servant. He was a servant leader. He washed the disciples feet. He sat with all the lowly garbage trash people that the population didn't want to sit with. And then, Think about this. His blood was shed for those who would believe on him. That's some of us in this room. And we were some of those lowly, garbage, trash people. But not anymore, right? So we have that. We have the humility that the Savior put others before himself. And then we see and we saw that the Savior had um, that he was exalted. He was was, his exaltation and that we are we we are our unity is because of Christ. And we know that Christ was exalted because he sits at the right hand of the father. And we can look forward to that when we go back to be with him. And so in chapter three, what I want to talk about is contentment. I want to talk about what it means to be content. Um. Man, I just closed my notes. I'm so sorry. (laughs) Um, That's that's how tired I am, Brother Davis. Um, What makes us content? That's a big word. If you think about it, what makes us content? If I ask Brother Aaron right now, what makes you content? He would say Monday night, Georgia stomped Texas Christian. That made him content. That was it, right? That's, he, he's so happy right now. He's, he's high uh, on life. He thinks everything is great. Or is it the job that you chase after? Is it the digits that equate the amount of money that you have in a bank account? And that number is where you are content. When it's good, you're content. When it's not, you're not. Is it awards and accolades and what people say about you and think about you? Is it the health of your family? Is it being single and God providing you a husband? Is that the only way, or a wife? Is that the only way you'll feel content? And so that word holds a lot of meaning for us. And so tonight I want to flush that out and I want to to share with you uh, you know, something that's on my heart a lot, because I think it's it's an important question for us to ask. If you, if you were to think about a guy in the Bible like Job, he's always the go-to guy, right? Because he was the one that God just kind of let everything go down because he knew he would be faithful. Job lost his family, his money, his stature, uh, his health. He had boils on himself. I mean, the guy was at the bottom of the bottom of the bottom of the pit. But he was still content in Christ. So the question is, is if you had nothing, I'll give you two things. I'll let you have two things left in this life. If you had this book. And your relationship with Christ and you were truly saved. Right. Would that be enough? If you're if God decided it was time to take your job, your money your house, your spouse, your children, everything from you. And you only had his revealed word so that you could know and grow and your knowledge and assurance of salvation and that you would see him again in the afterlife and you would sit at his feet and worship. Would that be enough? So let's go to the word. Go Philippians chapter 3, we'll start in verse 7 and end in 17. And this is Paul speaking to the Philippians, and he says, But what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ, yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ." And be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made comfortable unto his death. If by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead, not as though I had already attained either Be perfect, be thus minded. And if anything ye be otherwise minded, God shall reveal even this unto you. Nevertheless, where to we have already attained. Let us walk by the same rule. Let us mind the same thing. Brethren, be followers together of me and mark them which walk so as ye have for an example. So. Paul, I mean, that's a lot, right? That's a big chunk. That's that's a lot. Paul's talking about a lot. He's talking about he counts nothing as gain. Everything is lost except for what he has in Christ. And he lists these things that he has in Christ. He talks about not looking back on what his life was or could have been, but reaching forward to the prize. He talks about walking forward in a way that is unified and a way that is together, right? Not alone. You notice in here, he didn't say, I'm doing it by myself. He's encouraging them. Let us therefore be as perfect, thus minded, right? Calling them again to unity. So here's what I want to do. I want to, i want to point out three things. Number one, contentment comes from and conforms us to Christ. Notice that Paul doesn't say, hey, everybody, I'm content because I'm the best at this, 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 and this. And because I did this, 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 and this. Listen to what he says. He says, I gained an intimate knowledge of Christ in verse eight. And, and, and also in verse eight, he gained the prize of Christ that I may win Christ, the ultimate prize. He gained a relationship with him in verse nine. And also in verse 9, he gained true salvation in Christ. And in verse 12, he was chosen by Christ. Notice that all of those things didn't revolve around himself or his circumstances or things that people could do for him or anything but what he found resting and coming from and being produced out of Christ. There is nothing in contentment that comes from the world. Paul, and he Paul warns us as believers that we have to consider everything as done. And so I know last Sunday Lewis preached that message about being a vessel that is worthy to be used by the Lord. And so, and he he said it in his sermon, and I'm glad he did, because Man, I don't want to, I don't want to be that guy to talk about something nasty up here first, right? If the pastor did it, I can do it. (laughs) So you got two vessels. You have this vessel that's used for these awesome things, drinking water, drinking tea. That's beautiful. People want to see it. And then you have these other vessels that they use to go to the bathroom in. What do you want to be used for? And so Paul is saying everything in his life, the fact that he was the Pharisee of all Pharisees, the fact that he was trained in the law, his dual citizenship of Rome and of of Israel, everything he had nothing it meant nothing to him all of that was waste it was in this waste container it meant nothing. you could throw it all away because he wanted the he wanted the vessel that was awesome that was beautiful, which is Christ and he wanted to be used. For Christ. And so, and so we see that all of that contentment comes from Christ. And we see the contentment in Christ conforms us to Christ. This is a popular verse, everybody knows it. Uh, Romans 8:28, 29. This is what it says, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. What is his purpose? For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son. Conformed to the image of his son. That's not something that we can do on our own. That's something that we need help with. That's something that we need Christ even to help us with. In 1 Corinthians fifteen forty-nine, we see again, speaking of being conformed to the image of the son, It says, and as we have been sorry and as we have borne the image of the earthly we shall also bear the image of the heavenly so as we go through this life and as we are growing in our sanctification process and as we are working out our our, our salvation with fear and trembling like Paul tells us in chapter two we know that we're being conformed to the image of Christ and praise God that also in Philippians chapter 2 that Paul points out in verse uh, 13, that it is God which worketh in us both to his good pleasure, for according to his will and good pleasure. We don't have to do it. We, we we have to make the decision to be obedient. We have to make the decision to follow him and to love him. But the growth is coming from God. It's, it's not something that we have to produce within ourselves. And thank God for that, because I'll tell you this much right now, brothers and sisters, I would boot it. Every single time, I would, I would punt it into the stands. And I, and I think you can agree with me that you would as well. So that's, that's contentment. It comes from and conforms us to Christ. Number two, contentment does not depend on convenience or circumstances. In verse 10, he says that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering being made conformable unto his death. Paul reminds us that he he suffered and he knows suffering and we're called to suffering as believers. And we see, and I'm not going to go and read this uh, for time's sake, but in 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 25 to 28, we see some things that have happened to Paul. He was beaten with rods. He was stoned. He was shipwrecked, spending a day and a night at sea. He was on journeys that were leading him to dangers from rivers, robbers, his own countrymen, the Gentiles, the wilderness, the seas, and from among false brethren. He labored hard. He had sleepless night. He was hungry. He was thirsty. He had no food. He was cold. He was exposed to the elements. And to top it all off, he had a bunch of anxiety built up for the believers of the church because he had such a heart for them that he was anxious for them. And that anxiety is a fear of things that he couldn't control. Paul confesses in his own writings that he had anxieties for the churches. So if we were to say contentment doesn't depend on convenience or circumstance, then we would know that Paul knows that better than anybody. Because, and I want to read this passage, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, Verses 8 and 9, this is what he says. We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. Paul knew that it wasn't his suffering that was going to be the main story. He knew that it was Christ's suffering that would be the main story. So how does that apply to our lives? How does that how do we put that into something that we can understand? Let me put it this way. Your suffering doesn't define you. Christ's suffering defines you. And I wish I could take credit for coming up with such an awesome line. Let me let me say that again. Your suffering doesn't define you. Christ's suffering defines you. uh, I've been. Unfortunately, I've I've been to two funerals in the last two weeks. Uh one was for a family friend uh of mine, uh somebody who who took me in and loved me when they didn't have to, um, while I was in the military, kind of a, a mom away from home. Uh, and the other one was for a counselee that I had uh that I'd come to, to grow very close to over the last two years. And as I sat with both families, I wondered to myself as a human how do these people move on? These things are so fast, that fast. That's how fast our lives are. You really get a glimpse into that passage in James that talks about our life is but a vapor. When you go and you sit with people who lose people so unexpectedly, One of them was a widow. She's a widow now. And her husband passed at 39 years old from a blood clot. And he's, he's got three children, a 12-year-old, a, a 9 or 10-year-old, and a 3-year-old. And, and I just, in my human mind, I'm just, how? How do they make it? How, what are they going to do? How, how hurt must they be? And then my mind starts thinking about the people that I know in the church that have lost people and the people that in the church that have lost children and who have loved ones right now that were that are on our prayer list because we're we're praying that God would save them and heal them. And I just start thinking about, I mean, my mind quickly can spin out of control, brothers and sisters. I am not immune to my brain just going on overload. And I started thinking about the government's falling apart. Our country's falling apart. It's going to be hard to be a Christian. Inflation, gas prices, food prices, my own children, my own wife, my own family. And it just gets bigger and bigger. And as I look out at you, I know I'm not alone in that. And I don't. I don't want to say I take comfort in that because that sounds really cold and whatever. But at the same time, I do take comfort in it because we suffer together, but we rejoice together. So our suffering doesn't define us. Christ's suffering defines us. Ah, Amen. Because the Lord has suffered once for all for us. And it's going to be done. There is going to be no more suffering. So our contentment doesn't come from our circumstances and it doesn't come from convenience. Number three, contentment doesn't breed conceit and it doesn't breed complacency. Verses 12 through 14 in Philippians chapter three. Not as though I had already attained either we already perfect, either were already perfect, but I follow after it that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ. <clears throat> Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press forward to the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Paul, he knows it's not him, right? He knows I didn't do any of this. This is all Christ. So I can't be conceited. I can't boast in myself. I'm not going to make a big to do about Paul. But I'm not going to be complacent either. I'm going to reach forward for that prize. I'm going to keep moving forward to what God has for me. You know what causes complacency in our lives, brothers and sisters? Is the minute that we begin to look back on what could have, should have, or would have been. If only I would have done this. If, if, if. We can what if until the cows come home. And it won't make one bit of difference. And it'll cause complacency because while you're paying attention to what's behind you, you're going to miss what's in front of you. And that's what causes anxiety as well. And Paul talks about anxiety in chapter 4. It's, an, it's another thing that he highlights in this book that I have grown to love so much on and I found so much comfort from that passage. It's anxiety is the fear of things that we can't control, but it's also a distraction as we look forward and we see something shiny over here. We take our eyes off of what we're supposed to be on and we start worrying or thinking or focusing on that thing. And so brothers and sisters, don't be complacent. Don't be complacent and look behind you and miss what God has in, for you that's in front of you. What is God's calling on your life? Where does God want you to be? I can't look in this book and tell the young, you know, the, the, the young people in this congregation that are in college and trying to figure out what they're going to do when they grow up. I can't flip through here and find a particular job for you to do. That's not going to happen. It's not in Scripture, but I can find verses in here: Second Corinthians five 9, uh, 1 Corinthians ten thirty one. That everything that we do, we're to do to glorify God. And that takes us not being complacent. That takes us moving forward. That takes us focused and vigilant in what he has for us. Number four, contentment is a priority of a community who is in commitment. Verses 15 through 17. Let us therefore as many as be perfect, be thus minded. And if anything, ye be otherwise minded God shall reveal even this unto you. Nevertheless, whereto we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule, let us mind the same thing. Brethren, be followers together of me and mark them which walk so as ye have us for an example. It's a, it's a community that's committed. That's what contentment takes. For us to be content in Christ, we come here we learn about Christ from somebody putting out the word. We see Christ. We get testimony of Christ. And we know that we're walking in the same manner. We know that we're walking according to what we've been taught from scripture of what Christ is and what Christ expects and what the, what God the Father has for us. And we do it together. Now, that doesn't mean that my contentment in Christ is based on any one of you as an individual or even as a collective group that if you're not content, then I won't be content. Because some of you can be content in Christ and I might not be. But being content in Christ is a community activity and it's a committed activity. And we do it together and we commit to it together. When we take the Lord's Supper on the 29th, that's, that's us being content in Christ. That's us remembering what Christ did. That's us doing that together in a community of believers and members of this church here at Ripley. So for, I got uh, three points of application quickly. I'll run through these. How do we, how do we become content in Christ? How do we focus on it's Christ in the midst of all the chaos and in the midst of all the trouble that's in this in this world today and in society today. Just right here in, in northern Mississippi, we have our our messes, right? How do we do it? Number one, we have to stay focused on Christ. Colossians 3, 2 says, set your affection on things above, not on the things of the earth. And so how do we do that? We focus on Christ's attributes. What are they? Compassion. Patience, humility, love, obedience. That's how we focus on Christ. If you want to be like Christ, focus on Christ. If you don't focus on Christ, you won't be like Christ. Then you won't be content in Christ. You'll be content in yourself or your job or whatever. And when that fails you, because it will, you'll wonder why you can't be happy. Or you'll wonder why you have no joy. You'll wonder why you sit and doubt your salvation. Number two, we need to keep in fellowship with Christ. How do you do that? Well, you're in his word. You pray. You come to church. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25. It, it, you know, Paraphrasing that says they, that we come here so that we can be provoked unto love and good works and that we can exhort one another. Well, what are we going to exhort one another in? We're not going to exhort one another in a political way or in a way where we just push our preferences on one another. No, we're going to use scripture and we're going to exhort one another from scripture and push each other as we're doing this journey together towards the cross of Christ because it's the only place where we'll be content. And so we are, we're, we're in fellowship with Christ when we are doing life for Christ. In Christ, through Christ, with others, pushing us to Christ, we're praying to the Lord, we're learning of His Word, and we're growing. And Paul talks about fellowship a lot in this letter in Philippians one five he talks about the the, the Philippians fellowship in 1 seven he says that you are partakers, you are fellowshippers. Chapter two, verse one, he talks about the fellowship of the spirit because they're like-minded. They're saved. They're in Christ. 315, he talks about them being like-minded. Like-minded in what? Their beliefs, their knowledge, what they know to be true and what they believe to be true. In verses, or chapter 316, he says, let us walk. Let us mind the same thing. Walking is another word in scripture that tells us, let us live our lives this way. Verse three, seventeen, 17, uh, in chapter 3, verse 17, he says, be followers together. And in chapter 4, verse 3, he calls them true yoke fellow. That's my favorite one. I wish I could get away with talking like that, but it would just sound weird, but I just like that. Mm-hmm. True yoke fellow, true believers, true believers connected to Christ, therefore connected to one another. And number three, We always have to follow Christ. And if you turn to Luke, the book of Luke, we'll start in chapter 9. I want to read some very important scriptures. To follow Christ, we must be willing to lose everything. When you were a disciple of somebody in, 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 in the time of Christ, it meant that if you were following and if you were a student of or you were a disciple of, you were in the dust of their sandals. Okay, that, that, that's thats what that meant. And so to be in the dust of the Savior's sandals, well, what, what does it take? So in Luke chapter nine, verse 23, this is what it says. And he said to them all, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Stop thinking about you and what you want and what you need and where you're going to get it and what makes you happy and all the things that we work so hard to accomplish because we think that's where contentment comes from. And take up your cross daily. What does that mean? Take up your cross daily. Well, it means this it means die to yourself. Christ was put to death on the cross for those that would believe his blood was shed for those that were elect by God and that would believe in him and that would be saved. And so we are called to die to ourselves every day so that we can serve and worship and glorify and magnify the name of Jesus Christ. That's how you become a follower of Christ. That is how you become content in Christ. When you're not worried about anything else, but dying to yourself so that you can be with and in Christ. Luke fourteen twenty six to 27. If any man come to me and hate not his father and his mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. You cannot walk in the dust of the Savior's feet as he walks the roads. And here's the thing. If you're saved and you're in Christ's blood was spilt for you, that means that he knows that you can follow him. How? Because he's left you instructions because you sit under good preaching because brother Lewis, I tell you, he kills it. He does a great job at admonishing and exhorting us and explaining to us the scriptures and we are blessed to sit under that. And so we know what's expected of us. And so Christ knows that we can do it. What gets in the way of us doing it is ourselves. It's the world. It's the distractions. It's the I'm not happy because it's our circumstances. And finally, in Luke fourteen thirty three, Jesus says, So likewise, whoever he be of you that forsaketh not all that he hath he cannot be my disciple so i'll ask the question again are you if 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 god were to take everything from you everything and you were left with scriptures and your relationship and knowledge of your salvation would that be enough as I was preparing for this message this week, I was counseling this widow of of, of this counselee, and I'm not going to lie; I, I fell out of my depth. I fell out of my depth. What do you? What do you? What can I say to a woman who just lost her husband who has three young children that's going to make her day any better? Nothing. That's the answer. Nothing. But I can listen. I can pray. I can ask questions to see how she's doing, to see if she needs anything. And as we were talking, she was telling me a story about that she, she had to pick out a headstone. And her and her, her mother-in-law were talking about this headstone. And she was, she was saying that the mother-in-law told her, you know, I know you love my son. And I don't want you to feel like you have to get a double headstone because, you know, you're young. You might you, remarry. You might remarry. And that's OK. And the mom didn't mean that in an ugly way. The daughter didn't take it in an ugly way. They had a moment. But she told her mother-in-law, she said, you know. I have to be OK if God's called me to be a widow for the rest of my life. I have to be OK with that. So I'm going to get a double headstone. If I need to fix it later, I can fix it later because she wanted to be content in what the Lord had given, what he had provided and given for her. And then she began to flip in a notebook. She told me, Robert, I wrote down things where I saw God's hand, even in this horrible situation. And in my mind, I'm thinking, what? How? And guys, in biblical counseling, that's the first thing I tell people when they're going through a bad situation is, let's look for God's grace right now, because I know God's grace is in the present. It's not just for past, and it's not just for future, that it's here right now. So she started going down this list. She said, Robert, if he would have died 30 minutes sooner, all three of my children would have been in the car when that blood clot hit, and they all would have died as well, because he would have crashed. I praise God that my children weren't in the car with him. He had a blood. He had a blood clot hit him. He was with his two sons hunting. They did what they needed to do. They called. They got the ambulance. All these things happened. They couldn't get the helicopter in there because it was too foggy and too muddy to get him to go to, to wherever else they needed to take him. So they had to take him to some smaller hospital in Holly Ridge. And so when they got there, uh, they couldn't. In, all these things were going on, and so he ended up passing away. She told me. She said, "I'm grateful that the helicopter couldn't take him to the med." up in Memphis or wherever it was because I didn't want to have to make that decision to pull the plug or not. I don't know if I could have done that because I believe that God can heal. I believe that God can do anything. So I, I don't know if I could have made that decision as a loving wife. I, I'm so grateful that he spared me from that decision. Brothers and sisters, That that is an example of contentment. In the worst of situations, I can't think of a worse situation right now than losing your husband like that in front of your two sons like that and raising three kids and then saying, no, if he's going to have me be a widow for the rest of my life, I'm content. I praise him that my kids weren't in the car with him and I praise him that I didn't have to make that decision. And I asked her, what do you need? And she said, just keep putting fires on the log, Robert, so that I can keep seeing Christ. I want the fire for Christ to burn in me so hot. That's what she wants. She didn't want me to pity her. She didn't want me to grief counsel her. She wants to remember Christ. She wants to remember the things that he's done for her, even though she's lost something so great. So let me ask you again. Will you be content if God takes everything from you? Can you be content in the losses that you have suffered? And that's my prayer for us, that we would do that, that we would be content in Christ, that that Christ would be everything, that when no matter what happens in, in life, that we would be able to look to him, the author and the finisher of our faith, and that it would be enough. Let's pray. God, thank you for today. Thank you for your word. Thank you for this church. Thank you for each member here. God, thank you for your love for us and for your mercy and your grace. Thank you for your son, Jesus, for his life uh, that he gave for us. Thank you for his blood that was shed so that we could have righteousness, Lord, that you would see us as righteous because of him, not because of us. And God, I echo what Paul said in the scriptures. May we count everything as loss and everything that we have being as nothing if all we had was Christ. May we be a church that exemplifies that in our actions and our thoughts, in our speech, and in the way that we minister to others and one another. God, I pray for all the prayer requests that were mentioned tonight. I pray that you would be with all the families and all the the individuals on this list, Lord, that are afflicted. I pray that you would show them yourself, your grace, your mercy, your love. And that through it all, no matter the outcome of anything in life, Lord, that we would all say it's enough. Christ is enough. And that we will still worship and glorify and magnify his name. And that we would glorify you in everything that we do, God. We love you, we need you, and we praise you, and we say this in your name. Amen. Does anybody got anything else?